Well, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Yeah. We're thankful that you are tuning in with us this morning. If this is your first time, we again want to say welcome. Um, and for everybody else who has continuously been, been uh, tuning in, we want to say thank you for your faithfulness. Um, man, it's been really encouraging to see the church family uh, mobile and active in our community. And I know that my faith is continuously encouraged when I see the church um, doing what they're doing. And so um, by word of encouragement, I do want to say please continue to uh, find ways to, to serve. Um, there are so many needs in our communities, um, and they're, they're looking for the church. And so please continue to uh, be, be that witness, be that presence in, uh, in our communities. Um, man, I, I just want to thank Pastor Eric for the opportunity that I have to, to be able to open God's word. Um, and man, we miss you here at the brook. We miss you. Uh, we miss seeing you face to face, and we do long for the day when we can gather together as the church, when we can lift our voices with one another and, and worship our God. Uh, but until then, we want to thank you for continuously practicing safety, uh, for, for staying at home. And I know it's, it's tough, but um, we're going to make it through. We're going to make it through together. And we know that for, for some of us, it's, 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 uh, we can't do that because of various reasons. Um, and so we want to help you as, as much as we can as a church body. So please connect with us. Please let us know how we can help serve you, how we can help fill those needs for you. Um, man, I, I also want to give it up to our sisters last week. I'm thankful that we have so many gifted people in our church. I was deeply encouraged. Let me tell you, if you were here uh, last week at the Brook, I couldn't contain myself. I was, I was moving up and down, uh, up and down these seats. Um, man, I was just deeply encouraged by our sisters, Erica, Debbie, and Cynthia. Thank you so much for bringing us the word last week. Uh, today, we're going to continue in our series in the book of Romans, chapter 3. And so if you can turn to your Bibles and open your, your Bibles and meet me in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Um, if you can, if you have a hard copy of Scripture, please open that up and follow along with us. Um, it'll help you to track along with where we're going. And by chance, if you don't have a Bible, please let us know. We want to be able to uh, send you one so that you have something in your hands so that you can read through it, especially as we're going through something like COVID-19 where we're looking for words of encouragement. We're looking for words of hope. So please let us know. If you are in need of a hard copy of Scripture, please let us know so that we can perhaps send it your way somehow. Um, and let us know if you, that you are joining with us here in the comments below. I want to start off by reading uh, this passage, Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. And if you would allow me in the time that we have together... I do want to speak on the subject, imperfect, sinful people. And if you can, if you're able to, wherever you are at home, in your living room, in your bedroom, in your kitchen, wherever you are, can you please stand with us as we read God's word? I'm rereading from the English Standard Version. And it says this, beginning in verse 1, Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say, that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? 
I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, You may be seated. If you would allow me by way of introduction, we've been in this series called Doctrine That Dances, and we've been diving deeply in this book, in this letter that Paul pens to the church in Rome. And so far, we've been hearing a lot of hard and heavy truths, and sometimes it feels like we're being left in this broken state. But I hope that as we've been working through these series, that even in light of those heavy truths, that we come to see how good God is and how good the gospel message is, and that upon hearing the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that we find ourselves leaping with joy and even dancing in light of what Jesus Christ has done. And so, so far, what we've learned in, in Paul's thanksgiving for the spreading testimony of the church in Rome, Paul is eager to visit Rome to impart gifts and strengthen the church. See, Paul's obligation is this, of to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews and the Greeks because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And what we've learned is that God has revealed himself through creation But even with that, mankind still desires to be selfish. And therefore, God has given them over into their sinful passions. And we see this list of sinfulness in chapter 1. Not only are there unnatural relationships with one another that's outside of the marriage covenant, but we see that out of Out of sin, what we see is this manner of unrighteousness. It says in verse 29, uh, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. So we see that God has given humanity over into their sinful passion so that they can create for themselves their own gods and worship the created things rather than the creator himself so god has revealed himself through creation but just when you think that the jewish people feel like they're off the hook 
Paul says, no, 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 you're just as sinful because you practice those very sins. It's because of their sinfulness, because of the sinfulness and the sinful acts of the Jewish people that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. It's being mocked and made fun of. They have forgotten that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. That circumcision is not merely an outward practice, but circumcision of a heart, an inward transformation. It's the transformation that takes place within that marks the people of God from the people of the world. And so what we see in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, in essence, is Paul's argument. God's law levels the plane and reveals that all of humanity are alike in nature and liable for the very sin that condemns us. Or in simpler terms, the law declares that people are unrighteous. We are imperfect, sinful people. And admittedly, we live in a broken condition. We live in a broken world. And we live in a broken system with broken structures because we ourselves are broken people who have put up broken things. But in this, in this text, Paul reveals to us three realities of the unrighteousness of humanity. The first reality that we see is that humanity is unfaithful to the given word of God. Let's consider the opening verses of chapter 3. It says, Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. You see, throughout Paul's writings, he utilizes this style of debate called a diatribe. And this style of debate anticipates points or questions of criticisms that will be raised and he raises them before they can even be asked or stated. So by putting up this imaginary sparring partner, if you will, this imaginary person isn't necessarily playing the devil's advocate, but raises anticipated uh, criticisms and questions that come from the Jewish audience. Paul is still writing to the Jewish listeners. And so in light of what was said in previous chapter of chapter 2, seeing that not only are the Jewish people under the judgment of God and that the physical practice of circumcision doesn't save them from the wrath of God, this so what question comes up. What's so great about being Jewish? Is there any gain or benefit to circumcision? And so Paul is addressing this Jewish audience who are ethnically Jewish but who are also within uh, the Jewish religion. And so these are Jewish uh, non-gospel believing people and so paul responds by saying it in this way that there is actually much value in every way to being jewish he says that the jewish people were entrusted with the oracles of god the oracles of god were the written and recorded words of god much of what we find in the old testament portion of the bible it's these oracles the law of god that was entrusted to the jewish people and they had a responsibility of teaching their children and their children's children but also to be a witness of what comes with keeping the law and being obedient to all that it says. You see, it was this covenant relationship that God had with his people that if they obeyed and kept all that was written in it, God would bless them. And that in their blessing that the people of the world would see that among the nation of Israel was the true and living God. And the law that was given to them was meant to protect them. It was meant to protect us not to harm us. And it was intended for us to realize that the law itself is good. But what humanity 
And what history tells us is that people are unfaithful. Humanity today even is susceptible to being unfaithful just like the people of Israel. You see, in Israel's history, their unfaithfulness was met with punishment and judgment because they did not keep to their end of the covenant. They might have kept to every single sacrificial code, but they neglected to keep other parts of the law, taking care of the vulnerable, taking care of the immigrant, the alien that was among them, practicing injustice. So not only were they giving into this practice of idolatry, but they were also giving into practices of injustice. You see, in the New American Standard Bible, or, and even in the New King James Version, this word unfaithful is also translated as disbelief. It's used there instead of unfaithful. So perhaps there's a relationship between disbelieving and unfaithfulness. Perhaps sometimes the reason why we might even be unfaithful to the word of God is because we don't believe that it's good or that it's true. And we, we can even see this for ourselves. You see, Governor Pritzker and Mayor Lightfoot have laid these shelter-in-place rules, and they are hard and wanting for us to enforce this. And sometimes it might feel like it's restrictive. We're tired of staying inside. We're tired of, of staying indoors and not being able to go out But these shelter-in-place rules are meant to protect us. They're meant for our good. They're looking out for our well-being. And we know that it is hard to stay in place all day in one spot with the same people. You don't have to look at the person on your left or right. Just keep looking at the TV screen. You don't have to look to your your spouse. You don't have to look to your kids. We we get it. It's it's pretty tiring. But what we need to realize is that these shelter-in-place rules Laws and rules are meant to protect us from all that's going on around us. So if if we can, let's skip down to verses 5, 7, and 8, where the interlocutor, the debate partner, follows up by asking these particular questions. It says, But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say, that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? Verse 7, it says, But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory then why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Or maybe even in verse 8, and why do evil, why not do evil that good may come? I like the way that the Message Bible phrases it. It says, but if our wrongdoing only underlines and confirms God's right doing, shouldn't we be commended for helping him out? If my lie serves to show off God's truth all the more gloriously, why blame me? I'm doing God a favor. The more evil we do, the more good God does. So let's just do it. To us, this sounds ridiculous. And to Paul, this sounds ridiculous even more. And he would say that their condemnation is just. But the unfortunate reality is, is that not only is this idea popular among the secular world today, but this idea of thinking is even sometimes present among Christianity in the U.S., This universalism that teaches that eventually all will be saved even if they have not submitted under the saving work of Jesus Christ. However, what Scripture tells us is that for all who believe in Jesus shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through Him. And that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. But not only is this teaching 
being taught. But here Paul is also saying that he's being charged with this particular type of teaching called antinomianism, which teaches that since a person is under grace, they are no longer obligated to live by law or morality. This is not what grace is about, nor is this what the gospel is about. This text and the gospel does not teach us, nor does it give warrant to us living freely and without care apart from the law. I mean, could you imagine what it would look like if we lived without morals and laws to guide us? I imagine it would be like giving a child all the candy in the world. We know that we we love sugar, we love chocolate, we love candy. But eventually, eating so much sugar not only makes us sick, but it does leave us prone to diabetes, but also our teeth are prone to rotting out and getting cavities. And so it's, it's, it's a, a flawed argument. It's, it's ridiculous for us to say that we can live freely apart from the law. But can I show you what this text teaches us about grace? Is that even though God knows our hearts and he knows our failures and he knows our shortcomings, yet he has still chosen to reveal himself and entrust the law with the Jewish people. And that's good news for the Jews, but that's also good news for us today. That God's faithfulness is not contingent upon our unfaithfulness. It is not in God's character to be unfaithful and to break the covenant because he is a promise-keeping God. You see, Paul here it quotes Psalm chapter 51, verse 4, and it says he recalls the righteous character of God. If God were to act contrary to who he says he is and to break the promises that he has made, then he doesn't have the credibility to judge as the righteous and holy God that he is. And so the first reality that we see is not only is humanity unfaithful to the given law of God, but the second reality that we see is that humanity alike are all under the influence of sin. Read with me in verses 9 through 10. It says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So now turning his attention from the Jewish audience and addressing everybody in the church of Rome, he says that we are all under the influence of sin. Human beings are are capable of doing some significant and wonderful things. Michelangelo has his many wonderful paintings and sculptures, one that we see in the Sistine Chapel. Johann Sebastian Bach and his timeless hits of musical brilliance. Monuments and landmarks like the Great Wall of China and the Eiffel Tower were all capable of great humanitarian efforts, advocating for the poor, standing up for the immigrant, taking care of the marginalized. We care for God's creation. We are all capable of doing great and significant and wonderful things. But yet at the flip of a switch, it's the same people who are equally capable of doing the most heinous and wicked acts of sin. It's the same people who are able to genocide a people group. It's the same people who, for their own selfish gain, colonize and conquer lands. This is why we have war running about. It's the same people who can do good who are also capable of kidnapping and enslaving people from their homes. You see, the Greek word here for all literally means all. And it says that all are under sin. 
It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You can be born into poverty or you can be born into prestige. You can have all the education in the world with every letter of the alphabet after your name or you can have barely any experience of education. You can be the most beautiful person in the world or beauty might not be your spiritual gift. Everybody is under sin. You can't buy your way out of sin. You can't bribe your way out of sin. Everybody is under sin. And you don't have to look very far to even see that. I'm going to list some things, and if you've committed one of these things, you are under the influence of sin. Have you lied? Have you stolen? Have you spoken evil? Have you spoken evil about somebody? Have you cheated? Have you lusted after someone? These are all a very brief list, but these are all things that show us that we are under the influence of sin. And here, Paul quotes different psalms that sheds light on the sinful condition of humanity and the way that they are known. It says in verse 10, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even One, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, they deceive and they lie. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness rather than praise. They are quick to kill and take vengeance rather than practicing patience and peace. They themselves have set themselves up for ruin and they don't have true peace because they don't know the prince of peace. See, Pastor Brian Loritz would say it this way, that Paul here shows that humanity has been diagnosed with a disease called sin, that there are many different symptoms, but they all point to the same diagnosis of sin. And I would argue that the worst part of this list is that they have no fear of God before their eyes. You see, the times that we're currently living in has become a very scary time to live in because people no longer take reverence after God. They they no longer worship his name. They no longer take seriously the word that he has given. And we ought to be careful of judging too quickly, church, because sometimes we live as if we don't have the fear of God in our hearts. We, we live as if we don't have the fear of God on our eyes. And unfortunately, it's sometimes because of the church that people don't, li- don't fear God. You see, there's this strand of Christianity. They're so, they're so consumed with being forward and progressive and relevant that they have replaced relevance with reverence for the word of God. But on the other hand, there's another strand of Christianity who are so devoted to defending doctrine that they have neglected the practices of those doctrines. That we are called to walk in this tension and holding and standing firm on the word of God, but also be extensions of the hands and feet of Jesus. In Micah chapter 6 verse 8, it would say this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. See, people are looking to the church. People are looking to the church, not just for moral standards, but They are also looking for a hope. They're looking for a remedy to this disease called sin. No social distancing can keep you away from the disease of sin, but there is a remedy to being set free. There is a remedy to being set free from the curse and the bond of sin. 
His name is Jesus. And the gospel artist Richard Smallwood would write this, there is healing for your sorrow. There is healing for your pain. There is healing for your spirit. There is shelter from the rain. God has sent his healing. There is a balm in Gilead for your soul. There is a remedy to this disease of sin. And so while we see from Paul's writing that humanity not only is unfaithful to the word of God, and not only is humanity under the influence of sin, but lastly, humanity falls short of the righteous standard of God. You see, God has revealed himself through creation, and he's also revealed himself through the law and its covenant. Read with me in verses 19 through 20. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What God has made known in this revelation is his very character and nature to all of humanity, that God is a righteous God. See, accolades, accomplishments, and even nicknames sometimes attest to a lot of things. They are attributed to who a person is, and sometimes it can be based upon what they do or what they've accomplished. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a great thing these past few weeks been, as we've been uh, watching this last dance series of Michael Jordan and his legacy with the Chicago Bulls. And in watching that, we see this might be why the reason that we call Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time. I mean, I think of, uh, I know we have, we have White Sox fans uh, here at the Brook, but uh, one of the nicknames that, it's not the White Sox, but in the Cubs, uh, we think of El Mago. We, we think of the way that he's able to play the game and how magically he is able to make plays and help the, the team win. So we, we see that there are these attributes and accomplishments and accolades that we give to people. And yet the thing about people and their reputations is that even after celebrating their spectacular accomplishments and all that they've done, everybody dies. See, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 reveals to us that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is who our God, our righteous God is. We went through a series on the names of God. He is Yahweh, the great I am, El Roi, the God who sees, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, Jehovah Sebaot, the Lord of hosts, El Olam, the everlasting God. What we see in these names and what we see in Scripture is that God is holy, God is perfect, God is blameless, God is without sin. He is good in that there is no evil or wickedness in him. He is the everlasting God with whom there is no beginning. He was there before time began and he will be there even afterwards. And so in revealing himself, God has also revealed this righteous standard. And the law points to, attests, and affirms that righteous standard. What we have learned thus far is that humanity is in fact opposite of that. If we think that we are righteous, we are so far from that. If God is good, we are wicked and evil. 
See, Paul states and reinstates in this chapter that no one is righteous. No one is above that. All of humanity, Jews and Greeks, past, present, and future, are ridden with sin. And he writes here that the law holds everyone accountable to their sin. The reality that Paul makes known also is that works of the law will not lead you to be justified in God's sight. You see, earlier in this chapter, we shared this idea of living freely apart from the law. But here we see this other side of the spectrum that is legalism. That by dotting every I and crossing every T, it will not justify you. It will not justify you of your sins. You can come to church every Sunday. You can give your tithes and offerings. You can attend every RC gathering, participate in every missional, community, every missional opportunity that we have, and that will still not justify you before God. You can give to the poor. You can feed the hungry. You can do all those things, but that will still not justify you before God because we are still ridden with sin. We still have this problem of sin in our hearts. Paul intends for us to realize that the law, in fact, was given for us to acknowledge our sin because of the test of the holiness and righteousness of God and how costly sin is. You know, Pastor Eric last week talked about this practice of circumcision and how it, it wasn't, it, this has become such a custom and tradition that they've lost sight of what this actually meant. It's a setting apart of the people of Israel from the world and that the law was given not so that they can practice every single thing that was according to it, but they can see that in light of God's holy standard of how much they need and how much they fall short of of the holy standard of God. And so this ought to make us realize that we are in need of a hope of a Savior, that we fall short. Yesterday, I, I came by uh, Pastor Eric's house. We were hanging out in the backyard, and we were, we, were, we were talking about the Last Dance documentary, if you remember. We were, we were talking about some of the things that Jordan was saying and uh, his, his characteristics, his personality. But really, one of the things that was highlighted was the standard that he set for his teammates. And what Jordan said was along, the light of, was along these lines that I don't ask of my teammates more than what I can't achieve. And many times his teammates felt short of that, but it was Michael Jordan who made up for those shortcomings. But what we see in the scripture is that we fall short and that we are in need of a savior. See, I believe that God knew exactly what he was doing when he was giving the law and when he was giving this righteous standard. He knew that we would fall short. He knew that we would fall in our unrighteousness and that we needed somebody to make up for that shortcoming. Can I say it this way? In John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, and he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. 
the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this is the good news here. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God sent this word. God sent this word. And as I was collaborating with my friend Henry Thompson over the phone on this message, he, I like the way that he phrased it. One word said that you are condemned. But the other word said that you are redeemed. One word said that you are guilty. The other word said that you are justified. One word said you are dead. The other word said that you are alive. One word said you are unworthy. But the other word said that you are unworthy. You are worthy. And this word has a name. The name that is above every name. And that, that name was obedient to the point of death. Death on the cross. And God gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus' name. It is in Jesus' name. That even though we fall short of God's righteous standard, that even though we are imperfect, sinful people, it is by the blood of Jesus Christ that says we are perfect and holy just as our Father is perfect and holy. Would you pray with me, church? God, our Father, we we thank you, Lord God, for your word, for doctrine that makes us dance. God, we won't We truly can't understand your holiness. We truly cannot understand how good you are unless we are revealed to the reality of our sinfulness. We truly can't see how good and loving and gracious and merciful you are without seeing first of how sinful and broken and desperate we are in need of a Savior. And God, we thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us in this state of sin. You did not leave us in this state of brokenness. But God, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin and our shame. God, that he was obedient, that he could have passed up the cup of suffering, but he said, not my will, but your will be done. And we thank you, God, that it was Jesus who paid the sacrifice, not us, because he is the perfect sacrifice. He is the Savior. God, we ask that you cover us with the blood of Jesus. And if there is anybody here, Lord, who is watching with us, who has yet to be in a relationship with you. God, would you move on their hearts for them to know that they can find perfect peace, that they can live this life free from the guilt and condemnation of sin, that if they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, that they will be saved, for salvation is in the name of Jesus. And so we ask, Lord God, that you will move in our hearts, you will stir us into action, And God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Man, what a treasure the gospel is. Uh, Man, what a powerful word from Romans 3. Josh, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Church, I hope you know um, the bad news is really bad, isn't it? But the good news is all that much more better than anything the bad news would ever say. And we praise God for that. Uh, I hope and pray that you can leave uh, this service and ultimately 
be in your home there, but be encouraged as a result of our time this morning, man. God is so good to us. Um, I want to give a few reminders about this week. Tomorrow, we're going to be giving away lunches. Please come on through um, at 11.30 a.m. We'll start giving away lunches at 12. We'd love for you all to be part of that. And with our real communities this week, please connect with one of those to stay connected and find ways to serve our city and our community. I want to leave you with this uh, blessing from God's word. God says this, the Lord your God is with you and he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. God bless you, Brooke family. We miss you. We long to be worshiping together with you in person. But from now till then, you remain in our prayers and we're going to keep connecting however God may allow um, from now to then. God bless you, church. You're dismissed.